be with us today. Hey, can we all do a shout out to everyone at Fort McCoy this morning? Yeah. Woo! Hey, Fort McCoy. I think you heard a, a little Marine hoorah back there. But uh, yeah, it's great to have you guys with us. And uh, it's great to have everyone who is with us by way of Facebook and also those of you who are here. Hey, my name, is, uh, my name is Dennis, and I'm a part of the staff here at River Hills Church. Uh, we've been here for, man, we've been here for over 10 years, and I gotta say, I love the people that make up River Hills. Uh, this, is, uh, this is an amazing community. And I want to just encourage you that uh, uh, we have some Connect cards. If you're newer and you don't think we have your, your info, would you fill out a Connect card, or I'll make it even easier for you. Take out your phone, and simply type in new at River Hills Church and shoot us an email. New at River Hills Church, shoot us an email, and uh, we'll make that connection uh, with you. So we'd love to be able to, to help you be, find out more about River Hills Church, and if you're interested, to be a part of this, uh, of this community. Hey, this morning, uh, I, I need to share with you a dirty little secret. You guys, uh, you guys okay with that? In fact, you know, the, the, the early service, they really love the dirty little secret. Now, before I do that, I have to confess another dirty little, dirty little secret, that it's time for the kids to go to Kids Zone. So let's let them go. And if you haven't, uh, if you haven't seen, we got some new logo work going on back there. We have a new Kids Zone room. We actually added a new room. The old rear entrance is now doing double duty as a classroom. So uh, go check that out if you have a chance and see what's happening back there. Uh, so back on, back on what we're talking about here this morning. And it's this. It's a dirty... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hmm. We might need to reload the entire slide presentation. So why don't you go ahead and do that. How many of you, how many of you love dirty little secrets? Yeah? Yeah? You know, you find out as long as they're not what? About you? <laughs> about you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. So this morning what we're going to do is uh, see that there's this, there's this thing that... Uh, that we as pastors talk about and we as Christ followers talk about. If you're, if you're even entertaining the idea of following Jesus, I want you to listen for this dirty little secret today because it's, uh, it's pretty important to kind of get your hand around it. It's about the collision of cultures. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're just going to have to listen for it. I'm going to have a slide up, hopefully, that's going to warn you when it's coming up. But uh, it's about the collision of cultures. Have you ever dealt with the collision of cultures? Have you ever, have you ever felt uncomfortable? So I got, this, I got this little guy down here because he's a friend of mine. I've had him for a number of years now. He, he, he lives in the front of my house. Uh, but this all started back when I was a kid growing up. When I was a kid growing up, uh, we had a little collision of cultures in our neighborhood. I didn't really realize what was going on because I was just a kid, you know. But one day at dinner, 
my dad was complaining about the house that was being built down the block. And it was the Greco family. And he said, well, there goes the neighborhood. It was a collision of cultures. You see, we were in this little suburban Chicago neighborhood where there were a lot of a lot of Germans and a lot of Scandinavians and a lot of Italians, and that, that's basically who we were. But then the Grecos moved in. It was the last empty lot in the entire place, and rather than just build a house, they, they built a mansion. And it, it was up on a mound. They, 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 brought in, they brought in Phil. And instead of building, all of us, we, we, we had these nice level driveways. But to get to the Grecos, you had to go up because they brought in yards and yards and yards of Phil and built this ginormous place. And our house was built out of just kind of flat white brick and siding. Their place was built out of sparkly brick. I mean, when you looked at this in the sun, the brick was like, and, but the, the, the piece de resistance was they put in a big circular driveway. Nobody had circular driveways in our neighborhood. It was, just, it was just a straight shot right into the garage. And then in the middle of the circle, they put in a ginormous fountain. And the fountain, you, you, you can picture it, right? Big fancy fountain and it had this, this nude kid on top. And as my dad said, there went the neighborhood. It was a collision of cultures. As I aged, I became just fascinated with Greek culture. I found out that the New Testament of the Bible was written in Greek, and I took classes to learn it. And Debbie and I went to the Greek Orthodox Church together, and we were the only blondes in a sea of black hair. It was quite an interesting experience. We used to go to Greek town, where my dad probably wished the Grecos would have stayed. And we loved the food. It was a collision of culture, and for the first time in my life, I kind of saw what prejudice was about. And so when I got older and we had our own house, I decided when we went to a garden store and I saw this fountain, I had to buy it. Just because it turned out that I really liked the Grecos. They were, they were good people. And they were fun. And they had cool statues. I mean, where else in the neighborhood could you walk and see a naked butt? You know? I mean, this isn't appropriate for Scandinavians. You don't show your butt, you know? But that, that was cool, and so I bought that. My kids, my kids to this day ask, Dad, why do you have that fountain? Because we always face this to our front patio. Like, like the Grecos who came from Greektown, we've learned to live our life in the front yard, in the front porch as opposed to the backyard, and... So we face this guy toward us. The water comes out, and we can see it. But everyone pulling into our driveway gets this view. And so my, my kids are like, why do you moon everybody who comes to our house? And every once in a while, they will, uh, just to give me a hard time, they will do something like this. 
So if you're wondering what to do with your face masks when COVID is over, you can come over to my house and you can put a diaper on, uh, on this guy. But you see, that's what the collision of cultures is like. And that's what we're reading about in the Love This Story and Love This Book uh, series that we're doing right now. Um, any luck? Oh, you got, you got me. Great. Let me see if I can get that back and up and going. It's not going? You're trying? Okay. You let me know when you got that, and we'll be, uh, we'll be happy. So here's what's, here's what's going on. This, this collision was bound to happen because Jesus had this up his sleeve the whole time. When just before he left planet Earth, he called his, his, uh, his people around him and he said this in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. If you know these words, say them with me. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Is it going now? All right, guys, thank you. Let's give these guys a hand. Way to work under pressure. And I'll ask you to do one more thing, and under pressure, get this thing going for me. Thanks. <laughs> but you see, this, this is like the Grecos moving into the neighborhood here. But instead of them moving into the neighborhood, we're moving into their neighborhood. Jesus told his followers, I want you to start right where we're at. We're, we're right here in Jerusalem, and I want you to be my, my witnesses. Right here, where you're comfortable. And then you can leave you can leave Jerusalem. Thanks, David. You can leave Jerusalem and you can go out into the suburbs, out in, out in Judea. And then you can go over to Greek town. That's Samaria. That's where things start to get a little bit different. Larry, you're from Chicago. Remember Greek town? Yeah. Athens restaurant? Oh, yeah. Bring on the baklava. Bring on the euros platter, right? But here's what it was it's like a target. You start in the middle in Jerusalem and you move out into the yellow band in Judea and then you move out into Samaria where things get, you know, the color changes. Everything starts to change. But then Jesus said this, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I think everybody around Jesus at the time was just like, oh yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. And they didn't think through what the ramifications were. But you see, what happened was they, they ran into all kinds of obstacles. Remember last week we talked about um, this guy by the name of Saul. He looked like this. He was a militant. He was anti-Christian. He hated the church. And he did everything he could to, to destroy it and to kill Christians and to throw Christians into prison. And he was sitting there giving approval at the death of one of the church leaders by the name of Stephen. But what I didn't show you was the second half of this verse last week. Because as a result of what happened with, with Saul being out there with his murderous revenge against the church, it said a great wave of persecution began sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And where was Jerusalem on the target? Right in the center, right? So... Starting at Jerusalem, 
they were being persecuted. And then all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Remember where Jesus said to go? Go to start in Jerusalem and then go to Judea and then Samaria. And so he was basically setting up this. Start there and go. So as they're doing that, we come to this chapter this week, uh, Acts 10. We're going to be looking basically at Acts 10 and 11 and a little bit at Acts 15. But Acts 10 is really a watershed moment in the history of the church, and it's something that we, we can learn from. Because I'll bet you, I'll bet you, you've all had the same experience that there are people that you're uncomfortable with. Yeah? Can, can, can you think of people, maybe it's the color of their skin. Maybe it's the clothes they wear. Maybe it is sexual orientation. Maybe it is that they have a lot more money than you do. Maybe it's they have a lot less money than you do. Maybe it's marital status. There are so many different things that make us uncomfortable with other people. And so Acts chapter 10 takes us there, and it's, like I said, a watershed moment, a change moment in the life of the church. And I want to introduce you to three people. A dude by the name of Cornelius, Simon the Tanner, and Simon Peter. Cornelius was a Roman. And as a Roman, that meant he was not a Jewish guy. He was a centurion. He was, he was like the guys up at Fort McCoy. He was a military man. And Cornelius was going through some stuff in his life. Now, Simon the Tanner, uh, we used to live in, in Milwaukee, and we would drive past Bradley Beach on the lakefront in, in Milwaukee, and there was always a guy out there. It didn't matter what time of the year it was. We called him Bacon because he was always laying out and he had, particularly in February, he would have these big reflectors around himself. And the guy was like the color of my Bible. I mean, he, he looked like a piece of bacon and he was always baking, right? He was baking himself all the time. Now, when we talk about Simon the Tanner, that's not what we're talking about here, okay? He's not like bacon down on Bradley Beach, but he's Simon the, remember like maybe your mom would say or your dad would say, I'm going to tan your hide. Now, he's, he's not that kind of a tanner either, but it's the same idea. He tanned hides. That is, he, he was someone who, who took care of leather. And Simon Peter. We've already met Simon Peter. You know Peter, right? What, 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 was, what was something that Peter was famous for? Denying Christ three times, okay? You know who Peter was then. So we have these three characters in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, Simon the Tanner, and Simon Peter. And I have them separated like this because Cornelius lived up north. He lived in a place called Caesarea. And Caesarea, you can hear from the very first couple syllables that it was named after Caesar. It was a Roman encampment. It was not Jewish. It was Roman. And he's sitting 
around one day, and he's, he's, he really respects God. He's one of these guys who, who says, yeah, I, I, I believe God exists. In fact, I, I pray to him, and I try to do good by him. That's who Cornelius was. And then it says this in verse 3. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what, what is it? Well, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them from the north to the south. Now there's one small problem here. You see, we wanted to move from this to... to... Will it work? There we go. Did you do that or did I do that? Wanted to do this, but there's one small problem. And the problem is simply this. That Simon Peter was Jewish and Cornelius, we've already learned, was not. He was Roman. He was what was called a Gentile. And the Jewish law forbid Simon to hang out with Cornelius. But Cornelius is going down. He's going he's gonna to come and knock him in just a few minutes. But God's got this. He has a plan. And we see that in something that's called Peter's vision. Right around the same time as these folks were going to show up, it said about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof, so picture a flat roof, okay, he's not like, you know, hanging out on a big gabled roof. Um, he went up on the flat roof and he started to pray, and while he was praying, something super weird happened. A sheet came down, and it was filled, we're going to go back to bacon, this is going to be called the bacon message today. It, 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 was, it was filled with a side of bacon, and shrimp, and lobster, all these good things that Jewish people just aren't supposed to eat. And he heard a voice, and it says, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter replies, No way, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Then he hears this voice come to him. Oops. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. The text said that this happened three times. He got to go up to this, to, to this pagan smorgasbord. i got to just hold this thing in my hand. A pagan smorgasbord three times. It just kept on coming. So it came to him once. He saw the, 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 the pork and the, the bacon and the shrimp and the lobster. He hears the voice, kill it, eat it, cook it up. He says, no, it leaves, it comes back down again, 
And just as he denied Christ three times, so here he tells God three times, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But then he thinks differently about it. As God, for the third time, says, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. He hears a knock on the door. Remember what was happening? These dudes from the north were coming down. They were going to ask Peter to come and be with Cornelius. And God tells him this. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So he goes down and he hears the story and everything just comes together for him. It's like the bulb goes off and he's like, ah, you mean these people? These people that I've been taught all my life are just like, you know, I shouldn't hang around with them. You mean it's, it's okay? And it says that Peter went ahead and met with them. And that section ends with these words. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Whoa. That's a big change. Now, it's interesting because he had already had some changes going on. As it turns out, he shouldn't have even been hanging out at Simon the Tanner's house. I don't know if it doesn't say that in the text, but one thing we do know, that people who were into leather, in order to be a tanner, you got to handle dead bodies, and you got to do all this stuff, like draining the blood and doing all this, and, and all those things for a Jewish person makes you ceremonially unclean. And so Peter was sitting there, already hanging out at one dude's house that he probably shouldn't have, and he says, yeah, come on in. We'll go raid the fridge together. And it says the next day, Peter started out with them. And so we're at this point now. He started out with them and he went to Cornelius' house. And he arrived at Caesarea. And Cornelius falls down in reverence in the sight of Peter. But Peter says, stand up. I'm just a man. But, you know, Cornelius had never had a Jewish person come into his house before. And he knew any time he went to, to Jerusalem to worship that he had to stand outside and, and in, in, the, in the area for God-fearers, but not true Jewish people. He wasn't equipped to be a true Jew, if you know what I mean. And so he sees Peter in his house and he just, oh, thank you. And Peter says this, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or even to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. After the first service this morning, a uh, 
fellow came up to me and he said, you know, Dennis, thank you so much because we don't hear this enough in the church. Uh, this is going to sound weird to some of you, but what this gentleman shared with me was that he was in a disastrous relationship and through that relationship, he, he ended up getting a divorce and coming to Christ. He became a Jesus follower. Then he said, you know, I started hanging out in, in churches and what I realized was that a lot of people just don't want me. Why is it that churches don't want me? And I said, because they haven't really wrapped their minds and their hearts and their wills around this. You see, we love to build ourselves up by pushing other people down. We love to build ourselves up by pushing other people down. And Peter realized in this moment, well, let's have him say it, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news. What's another name? What's a churchy name for good news? The gospel, okay? God sent to the people of Israel announcing the gospel, the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. This is something we might call the peace of God. There's peace with God. In fact, Peter, in just a moment, He's going to say that as he's talking to these people in Cornelius' house, he's going to tell them this, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That is, you can have peace with God when, when you understand what he has done for you and you hear his call to come and follow him and you say yes to that immediately you are extended peace with God. The guilt that you've experienced in your life, the shame that you've experienced in your life is taken away. That's what he says right here. Everyone who trusts in him, that's what the word believe means. It's not just this, oh yes, I believe. You know, it's, you know, I trust you with my life. Everyone who trusts in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peace with God. But he also reminds them that there is this thing called the peace of God. I don't know why this is not, this, is, this has been working so well these last few weeks. Give me the previous slide, number 22 please. <laughs> Thank you. And this is the peace of God, that you can have peace with other people. You know, when we get into judging situations in, in the church, when we get into judging situations in our society, in, in the world, we don't have the peace of God. We're saying, you're wrong and I'm right. You know why we say that, right? Because, well, 
in my own case, I, I know that I'm perfect. And so because I'm perfect, I can judge you when you're not like me. Because if you're not like me and I'm perfect, that means you're, that means you're imperfect, right? And so that, that's human nature. We want, to, we want to bring people to be like us. Yikes. Wouldn't that be a boring world? Wouldn't that be a catastrophe? And they realize this. They realize that they can have peace with God and they can have the peace of God. And in that moment of realization, God miraculously pours out the Holy Spirit on them and it says, it says this, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Even on them? Really? But now, we started on this a little bit last week. I want you to notice. I want you to notice that, that these people didn't do anything. We love, remember we talked about last week about how people love to, different religions like to have their formulas. You know, you have to do A, then you have to do B, then you have to do C, and then once you do those, those things, then you're a friend with God. You know? But I want you to notice that in this case, these folks just heard and apparently understood, and they didn't say a word, they didn't fall down on their knees, they didn't do anything, and they just, it was just a miraculous outbreak. Wow. Have you ever been worried that when you go to another church and they tell you what you have to do in order to be a Christ follower, that maybe you're not one after all? But you know in your heart that you are? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, you have to speak in tongues. Or, oh, you have to say this prayer. Oh, you have to repent of all the sin in your life. I don't even know all the sin in my life. Oh, you have to repent of this particular sin in your life. That's back to that divorce thing. Some churches uh, just will not accept divorced people. And as this individual said, they shame me from the moment I share who I am. All right, now here it comes. Here comes the DLS, the dirty little secret, okay? So, chapter 11. The apostles and brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. In Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized Peter and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Shame on you. Here's the dirty little secret. When, when we get together, uh, those of us who are in Christian leadership, we, we use this phrase, it's simply ministry is messy. And it is. But I've, I, I want you to relate to this at a different level, and that's this. Following Christ is messy. Following Christ is messy. 
And if people tell you that following Jesus is like the easiest thing in the world and all you have to do is this and this and everything will be roses for you, um, turn and run. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, we're going to have a little study group um, for just a few weeks on Diedrich Bonhoeffer, but he said this, when Jesus calls a man, and forgive the, the, the sexism in the language, but realize he's saying this back at the time of the Third Reich. He was murdered uh, in the Third Reich, by the way. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer said this, when Jesus calls a man to come and follow him, he bids him come and die. Why? Because following Christ is not easy. Because when you do, you're going to be asked to accept people that you naturally are not prone to accept. I had some neighbors uh, share with me same thing my dad said. Oh, there goes the neighborhood. We had two Mexican families moving down the end of the block. Broke my heart that people would say that. So I make it a point every single day. When I go past or outside, I wave. Sometimes I stop and we chat. And I just want them to know that at least there's somebody who appreciates them. Got to confess, though, there are times... There are times, go up into uh, the Twin Cities and there's a neighborhood called Little Mogadishu. And when I drive through the neighborhood, I press the lock button. Y you know, can, can you relate? I feel uncomfortable. It's my own prejudice. Don't understand the culture. Yeah, I, I can welcome the Greeks now. I can welcome Mexicans. I have some good Mexican friends. But some cultures, it's just tough. And so if you're a Christ follower, you're wrestling with that throughout all your life because you know that there is no one that God calls impure and unclean because they have been created in his image and he loves them and he wants to come into a relationship with them. And so following Christ becomes messy because I want to make them more like me and if I see something that's wrong in their life, I want to point that thing out because I want to play God in their life and tell them what's wrong with them so I can feel superior to them. And maybe what I need to do is just cut right to the chase here. This messiness continues well into Acts 15 and throughout the rest of the New Testament. Every single book that Paul would write, starting with Romans and ending in with Hebrews, because I believe he wrote Hebrews as well, is dealing with how do you come to terms with this? 
how do you come to terms with it? And he'll, he'll, he'll cite different, different relationships. Father-child, husband-wife, employer-employee. How do you deal with these things? He'll talk about sexual dysfunction. If, if you want to have your hair stand on end, read, read 1 Corinthians. You know, we all know 1 Corinthians for the love chapter. Yeah, well, they took love to a whole other level. And there was a guy who was getting it on with his mother-in-law. And Paul just calls it out. He says, this is not right. How do you, how do you respond to this? And he practices tough love. And so, here's what I want you to see. This continues to happen. And when, uh, when the Christians are called, and when Peter's called to go and minister to the Greeks, of all people, can I tell you why the Greeks were so offensive to the Jews? Because of this. Actually, 180 degrees on the other side. Actually, because of that down there. The pee pee. I want to keep this family friendly for those of you who are at home. The kids have been dismissed from this room, but I know the kids are around. So, um, But here's the deal. The Greeks... They, they started something that we still practice today and we celebrate it every four years, actually every two. So what, what, what do we celebrate every four years and it's going to be happening in Japan, but you can't go? The Olympics. Started in the 700 BCs at Olympia, which is why it's called the Olympics. And do you know how they worked out? When they worked out, when they would go to the natatorium, they swam in the nude. When they would lift weights, they lifted weights in the nude. When they would wrestle, eesh, they would wrestle in the nude. And when they created art, they created art of nudes because they thought that this was a beautiful thing that the gods had created. And they loved it. It was not pornographic in the least. But the thing that was hanging out was a reminder to the Jews when they went up into the Greek areas that these people are not the same as us. And so they said, you need to be the same of us because that's offensive. And then Jesus' half-brother James would step in in Acts chapter 15 and he says, stop, stop. It really doesn't make a difference how that looks. It was a significant thing for a season in the Old Testament. But it is not any longer. So just plain stop. Here's what I want to leave you with. You're in a situation. Some Christians, or some, some Greeks came to Jesus 
and the, the religionists started freaking out again. And they said, okay, Barnabas, you go up there and you check it out because we don't want to see that stuff all. And so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Antioch is the first non-Jewish church. It's significant. It's also the place where the Christ followers were called Christians for the first time. It meant baby Christs. But they, they meant it in a bunch of baby Christs. It was a term of derision, and then it became a term of honor later. But they sent Barnabas to Antioch, and when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. See, he, saw, he knew they were all different, but he goes and he sees it through a different set of eyes. He sees what the grace of God had done. It's like, whoa, I never thought that he'd be a Christ follower. I never thought she'd be a Christ follower. Wow, this is exciting. And he was glad, and he encouraged them all to go out and get circumcised. He encouraged them all to stop eating pork and beans. He encouraged them all to stop going and getting shrimp when they went out, or scallops or lobster, right? He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And if you wonder why I often don't speak on issues which are throwing the match into the gasoline here at River Hills Church, because I don't believe in throwing the match onto the gasoline. Because what I believe is what Barnabas did. I'm excited to see people come to Jesus and isn't it interesting that our mission as a church is to encourage people in a growing relationship with God. That is, you start wherever you are and you start walking. And all I want to do is encourage people to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And you know what? If there's something in your life that God wants to work on, the Holy Spirit's going to point that out to you. I don't think it's my responsibility to point it out to you. Except for you, Paul. There's something that I need to point out to you. And it's the manner in which you... Now, I'm, I'm, now, how does that make you feel? You, know? you were all like, ah! is he really doing that? So am I. But that's the deal, guys. That's what it means to be the church. If you want to be a religionist, it's easy to be a religionist. A religionist goes out and says everything that's wrong. A Christ follower goes out and says, hey, I'm following Jesus. You want to join me? You want to join me? I'm so excited for you. Just remain true to the Lord and follow him with all your heart. And I'll let the chips fall where they may. Lord God, we thank you for your word.
And God, if there are things about which we need to be bold, I pray that you would uh, give us that boldness and help us to know exactly what needs to be said. But God, in so many things, you call us to love on people, to accept them where they're at, and to walk with them. And so God, give us the boldness to challenge ourselves to do that with others. And we'll trust you, we'll trust your Holy Spirit for the results. And we pray this